Welcome to episode one of Lords of Film. Yeah, that's right. We got a new podcast. Yeah, what? It's a movie podcast. I am Justin Shannon. Right across from me is... Uh, your friend, Kyle Davis, over here. Mr. Incredible. And to my 12 o'clock... Batman Bass Slap, Tom Harper. Welcome to the first episode. So, let's give you like a brief rundown of what Lords of Film is going to be. First, we thought it was going to be this flick, but for reasons unbeknownst to us, we couldn't get it... Like, on Twitter and Facebook, it was already taken, so we decided... Taken, but not used. Yes, taken, but not used. And so we kept on going back and forth, like, for, like, weeks on the name, and the... And we had arguments, we yeah. hated each other for a while, we argued, we... It was like a senior teenage drama. It was. The it band was... almost broke up, man. Um. So finally, one day, Kyle's like, well, we can't use this because of Facebook, so... At work one day, I was bored. I was like, we need to figure out a name. What can we, like, I want something like Shailen on Batman, like SOB, but how am I going to be able to do that? So it just came to me, like, out of the blue, Lords of Film, LOF. So we're here, first episode. Lords of Film. So our first episode, we're going to have Mark Rodesky from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The Mark Rodesky. Hollywood producer? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. First yeah. episode, absolutely. So that guy. You guys are in for a treat, Mark Ordesky. Um, super amazing guy. Can't wait for you guys to listen to that to this episode. But before we do that, we're gonna give you a little uh little nuggets of what this new movie podcast is gonna be about. And how it's gonna differ from Shannon and Batman? It's gonna be straight up movies. Syllabus per se. It's gonna be movie reviews, commentary tracks, uh what you movie news, Hollywood, like, what's going on? Is Ben Affleck really getting divorced? <laughs> like, no, oh, man, they're just moving. Yeah, they're, they're moving, moving, apparently. Yeah, apparently. they're just moving. Or they're ha- they're having, like, work done on their house. Yeah, whatever. Um, so, uh, we're going to talk to a lot of different movies. We're going to do commentary tracks for The Godfather, Big Lebowski. Oh, man. Just our favorite movies. We're just going to sit back and talk about them. And, like, a movie comes out, like, we really love, we're going to sit back and just talk about that. Like, we're just spitballing about... It's junk- a chance to uh, to get ourselves out there to a to a wider demographic. Because we love Batman. Obviously, we love it's Batman. niche. But it's a niche market. Not everybody loves Batman. Everybody knows who Batman is. But, let's face it, not everybody wants to sit down for an hour to an hour and a half and listen to three nerds ramble on about Batman and Batman facts. So... Here's our movie podcast. Everybody, pretty much everybody, I would say, enjoys themselves some movies. Everybody experiences we're gonna, we're it. Gonna, we're, it's going to be a different kind of movie podcast, though. There's a lot of movie podcasts out there, but we are going to touch on everything. Classic films like Citizen Kane. We're going to really dive into those types of films. Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz, The Prestige, Scarface, Godfather... Old school, new school, indie, all works. Anything that we think is good, or fans of Shannon on Batman, or the new fans of Lord of a film, you want us to, like, talk about? We'll talk about. We are, we're not a, we'll talk about the the comparison between the 1933 King Kong movie and the 2005 Peter Jackson King Kong movie. Brilliant. That's the beauty of this podcast. We can be so much more flexible with what we talked about on this show compared to our previous one. So definitely, if you have any suggestions of what we can talk about, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll consider At it. Lords of Film. At Lords of Film. Um, 
that's our Twitter handle. We just also also very important. We do really appreciate your likes and your follows on Twitter. But please, please check us out at www.shanleyandonbatman.com. Oh, absolutely. For clarification, that will still be the main website for Lords of Film. We're going to be kind of merging the two. A host website. Yeah, it's like a host website. Like a mothership. Both yes. of our like an content, all the content will be on that website for we'll us. Set. Yeah, Independence Day mothership. I think I've heard that guy before. Mm. Who's Sad shot. <laughs> oh my god! Did, did you hear what? <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to talk about that on Channel on Batman. Um, stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, like this. This is gonna be a different type of movie podcast where everything's on the table. Animated films, indie films. So this movie podcast, it's. Don't worry about Shannon on Batman. That's not going away. We're still going to have amazing guests on. Never that's going still, away. That's still going to be the weekly. Ramming that down your throats till they're sore. Um, that's still going to be the weekly, bi-weekly, whatever, whatever comes out, comes out. This is going to be more like a once a month kind of a thing. Something like that. How, whatever we feel. It kind of just depends on what's happening in the movie industry, you know? Right. Like Jurassic World blew up, broke all these box office records. That's something we can talk about. We talk about Mad Max. We talk about the soundtrack of Mad Max by Junkie XL. Hell, maybe we'll get Junkie XL to come on and talk about the soundtrack for Mad Max. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, stranger. We have Mark Ordesky on from this episode. Lord of the Rings. Did we mention Our that? Episode. The first episode. We're giving it to you hard. Yeah, I mean, how perfect of a first episode to talk about Lord of the Rings with the man behind the Lord of the Rings. Well, shit. That being said, let's just jump right into this. Here's Mark Ordesky for the first inaugural episode. Of Lords of Film. Welcome to episode one of Lords of Film. We're really honored and it's our pleasure to be talking to one of the main reasons that we love movies, Lord of the Rings. Uh, if it wasn't yeah. for our, this guest, uh, there probably would never be a Lord of the Rings film because he's the one who facilitated that first meeting with uh, between Peter Jackson and New Line Cinema. So welcome to the show, uh, Mark Ordesky. Wow. Hey, pleasure to be here. All right, so first question has to be, uh, where does it begin for you, Mark? When was the first time you read the Lord of the Rings book, and what was your, like, your first initial reaction to reading that book? Sure. I read the first, I actually read the Lord of the Rings before I read The Hobbit, probably in the late 70s, maybe 78, 79. I got turned on to it by a dungeon master whose game I was playing, and who basically, when I started playing this game, he handed me this like box of books like sort of, you know, required reading. Yeah. And in there was The Lord of the Rings, like Elric, um, you know, uh, Narnia, all this stuff. But Lord of the Rings was at the top of the box. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know there was a Hobbit book at that time. <laughs> so when you, when, you, when you read it, were you like completely, totally blown away like everyone else has? Because when I read it the first time, I was like, oh, this is like just on a whole nother level of literature, of fantasy. Yeah, I was completely blown away. I would have been like, probably 14, you know, 13, and it was probably the perfect age to start reading, and I was just getting to Dungeons and & Dragons, but, and I'd always been a reader, you know, growing up, but, um, but yeah, this was on a whole nother level, this just how rich and dense and, and wonderful it was, yeah. So you talk, like, Dungeons & Dragons, I was reading or saw something that, are you a dungeon master? I am. No, okay. That's so, awesome. <laughs> Um, so, do you, and then we were, uh, when doing our research, uh, do you still do Dungeons and Dragons, like, annually, 
every once in a while with yeah, your college every, buddies? Every, yeah, every summer um, I get together with the original crew that um, I dungeon mastered for in, pretty much through the whole, all of the 80s and even a little bit into the 90s. And we get together. We actually haven't been playing Dungeons and Dragons because none of us had time. But my brother Joel finally he found this great kind of uh, tool, like sort of online tool that helps us sort of like, you know, the, the battle, you know, the battles and all that stuff. So we're actually going to be, I'm going to be dungeon masking for the first time this summer in, since the sort of nineties. Oh, really? So are you excited to get back into it? Totally excited. I actually, on my, we have a private Facebook, you know, page, which is just the nine of us. And of course there are nine of us, you know, that that's not coincidental. Um, same number as the fellowship. And, uh, I actually sort of, I couldn't, I couldn't stand the suspense. So I actually sent them like, this is what you see as the adventure starts, just to whip them up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then I heard, like, what is your, like, little, uh, you have, like, a little nickname that you have for, like, what's your name? In the yeah, no, we all, we, there were nine of us, which was not by design, and we, so, of course, we all gave ourselves Lord of the Rings names, and since it was my idea, I, of course, gave myself the Frodo name, so, yes. That's perfect. I'm all, and I'm sort of Frodo-sized, I mean, you, you guys aren't here with me, but you could, <laughs> I'm basically about the same size as, like, Elijah Wood. Billy, Billy Boy, Dominic Monaghan, we're all about the same size. <laughs> what an amazing story, man. Uh, you, okay, so you went to you, uh, Dungeons & Dragons and everything, and you went to uh, USC for print journalism. Yeah. When did you jump into Hollywood, uh, and how did you like facilitate from Hollywood into new, your role as an executive at New Line Cinema? Sure. I kind of fell into the movies by accident when I was a senior in, at USC, I was editor of the university newspaper, and I wrote something, a short story for a class, um, which through a whole series of circumstances that can probably only happen here in Los Angeles, that short story ended up in development at one of the studios. Um, and because of that, it sort of steered me out of journalism and into the movies. And then the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings connection came. I ended up getting a couple different jobs. And one of my jobs, probably the most fun job I ever have had, was I had a job at a company called Republic Pictures, where my job was to license distribution rights to finish movies like B-movies, horror movies, exploitation movies. My office was a converted men's room where they'd rip the toilet out. It was like, <laughs> it was so small, I could actually touch it. Like if I put my arms to the side, like I could <laughs> touch, they'd rip the sink out. And I saw this film, Bad Taste, which had been, which was Peter Jackson's very first film. This would have been like 86-ish, maybe 87. Um, and I fell in love with it, and I couldn't convince my bosses to let me license the distribution rights to this film. They thought I was crazy, so I wrote this crazy fan letter to Peter Jackson, who probably thought I was a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1988, I lost that job at Republic Pictures, and I ended up at New Line. And at New Line, which was a theatrical movie company and a production company, not just a distribution company, mm -hmm. I thought, okay, here's going to be my chance to do Peter Jackson movies. I never thought about Lord of the Rings back then. The Lord of the Rings thought didn't happen until until the later eighties. That's awesome. Um, so after seeing, what was it about his first bad taste? What was that that just really drawed you into his? Because he has a very visual style, and like he like like bad taste, Meet the Feebles, uh, King Kong, Lord of the Rings, The Lovey Bones. Like he has a very visual style. What was that about seeing that first film for you? Like wow, this. He's on a kind of a whole different like wave, like a whole nother level. Sure. I think because I watched a lot of B-movies in that job, 
And, you know, a lot of B-movies sometimes are made a little bit by the numbers. Um, and the level of imagination, I mean, he was doing like, you know, crane shots and mi using miniatures and doing all kinds of crazy imaginative stuff. Like the end of that movie, like the house the aliens live on takes off into outer space. And I was sort of like, how? I never saw stuff like that before. I was it just thought it was imaginative. I was really gobsmacked. Okay, so let's so you were at so you you get into New Line. Now now Miramax was the first uh studio to really finance the Lord of the Rings movie. Now you're you got did you and Peter have like a relationship before that meeting at New Line or yeah, yeah, we were we were connected. Once I wrote to him about bad taste, we were connected, and then in the late '80s, I got him his first Hollywood job at New Line Cinema, writing what would have been Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five or Six. We didn't ultimately make it, but New Line hired him, and he and and he came to Los Angeles, and he stayed on my couch, which has become this kind of apocryphal story. <laughs> and while he was there, he saw all my Dungeons and Dragons paraphernalia and my Frank Frazetta posters, and all my like my Lord of the Rings, my little. I got my little Frodo figurine, right, which I, nice. <laughs> which I still so had, awesome. and you know he sort of made a note to self. So when he when when he did the film Heavenly Creatures, which Miramax dis distributed, they made a first look deal with Peter, and as part of that, they started developing the Lord of the Rings into a two film, you know, a two film vision. And ultimately, Miramax changed his mind and wanted to make a one film version of the three books, which never would have worked. I mean, so, unless it was like a nine hour movie just yeah, once they wanted to make one two-hour movie of, of the three books which it never would have worked so he was given a window to uh to shop the rights to other studios and he remembered i mean he shopped the rights everywhere but he remembered what a fan i was so yeah so he and i had a bit of a friendship by then so now does he just like phone you up or did, is there like a fax or like do you got just yeah. you guys have like a conversation? Hey, Peter's like, hey, I'm thinking about shopping around Lord of the Rings. Would you help set this meeting up at New Line? Yeah, I got a phone call, not just from him, but from his longtime manager, Ken Kamins, with whom I'm still a close friend. And they basically said, listen, we're coming to Los Angeles. We're going to shop these rides. We're going to shop them everywhere. But it'd be awesome to do it with you at New Line. So could you like lay the foundation for that meeting? So yeah, so that's what I did. So you really are the reason why the Lord of the Rings like came out in 2001, 2002, 2003 because of that, because of your relationship with Peter. Like there's no question about that. Um, so you, so he calls you up now, you set up the meeting. How, how long did that, did it take for you guys to actually sit down and ha when he had his first pitch with, uh, with New Line, with Bob and uh, sure. Michael Lynn? He, I mean, the meeting happened quickly. They flew up relatively quickly, and, and the meeting happened because they were on a ticking clock. Miramax had given them a limited window of time, I think like three weeks, to try to set the project up, which it was an incredibly ambitious time frame. So it all happened very, very fast. So so let's talk about that pitch, because I remember watching the, I was watching the behind the scenes uh, Blu-ray this morning. I was like, I really need to prepare like really heavily for this Uh <laughs> Um, so that pitch now, when he, when he, like, let's talk about like, how long was that? Was it like an hour long pitch? Were there mock-ups? Was there video? Was there like sure. a videotape? Yeah, there was, the, the meeting was probably an hour. About half of the, the meeting was a 30 minute video, sort of a little mini documentary that Peter had created to sort of show all the R and D of what he had done to show why you could make the movies, how you could make the hobbits small, how Gollum would work. 
how the giant battles would work and why, you know, why, why technologically you could do the movies now. And so that was incredibly persuasive. And then he obviously walked, you know, that it had, it had video of, of the different models and maquettes that had been built. So it would, it gave you the whole flavor. It basically gave you Peter's vision. There was animated storyboards um, in the tape. And then the rest of it was conversation. And the good news, the real, the one advantage that New Line had that no one else in Hollywood had, and I guess I guess that's because of me, is that no one really knew Peter as a person, other than the folks at Miramax, obviously. But mm-hmm. no one really knew him and, and had spent as much time with him as New Line had. So that le- everything in making movies is about leaps of faith and confidence. Right. And we had insights, confidence, and connections with, with Peter that the other studios didn't have. So that's all, you know, and, and his, and his vision was so persuasive. So now after the meeting, were they, since you facilitated that meeting, were they like, all right, let's go make the movie. Was, was it right after that, that new lines like, all right, let's do it. We believe, or were, did you have to persuade them even further after that meeting? It was a multi-step. What new line committed to at that time was to take over the development of the movie, um, to reimburse Miramax, its costs, and to and to sort of continue the R and D kind of pre pre production to get the budget, you know, in order. And also the big thing at New Line was New Line made the decision that that it should be three films, not two. Which of course Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh and and Philip and everyone was thrilled about. So that that whole process of converting the two film version into a three film version that took a bunch of months. But ultimately, so the, ultimately the green light decision was at a subsequent point. We made the decision to get involved in kind of August of ninety eight. But the films didn't shoot until October of 99. So the green light decision happened in the midpoint. And yeah, there was more persuading, but New Line wouldn't have gotten involved in the first place if if it wasn't our intention to make the film. But yeah, the green light decision came subsequently. Tom's got a question for you. Sure. What was your role as executive producer? And uh, were you on the set all the time? Sure. It's funny how it evolved. I mean, initially, I didn't have any expectation that I would work on the production of the movie at all. Because at that point, I think at New Line, the most expensive movie I'd been involved in was, I think, $6 million. So I didn't have that expectation. But New Line had a really wonderful corporate culture of, you know, of pride of, of ownership, pride of authorship. So they felt between my, I was so steep in Lord of the Rings, I knew Peter, he was my friend, that I should supervise it. I was not on set every day. Thank God, I don't think I could have gotten anything done. But my main job, if you had to give it the broad answer, was to was as translator. I basically my main job was to make sure that the studio was getting what it bargained for and that the filmmakers got what they needed. But what was really interesting as time went by, so I spent increasingly more time in New Zealand, and by the time we got into post production, I was there almost all the time. Was mainly. So that the filmmakers could spend their time making the movie and not talking to the studio about the many, many things that, that the studio needed to interface. I ended up doing a lot of that. And then the more I stayed down there and did, the more stuff they gave me to do. So it sort of just evolved organically. Right. And uh, I was I was reading like it's really impact your uh, career and like didn't in your personal life. Did, did you meet your current wife down in New Zealand as well? Yes. I met I met Rachel in New Zealand. She's a New Zealander, so if, you know, I was down there for the better part of you know four or five years. Yeah. So yeah, it changed my whole life and and it changed my career trajectory entirely. Because once I when I'd done that, it came when you once you have that experience. I mean, I got to go to Peter Jackson University, which is a rare 
and very cool things. So I got to learn things just about how he thinks and how he makes movies that serve me to this day. That's awesome. Like, Kyle's got a question for you. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, during the making of The Two Towers, and even more so The Return of the King, well, was there any point where you're like, I'm not sure we're going to make the release date of the movie? And were there any concerns like that at all? Or was everything going pretty smoothly? The, there was always concerns about making delivery. There was always concerns about making delivery on every big budget movie that is ever worked on by anyone. <laughs> um, you know, because great filmmakers, by definition, want to make the best film possible and they want to utilize every moment of time they have available. So you're always going to be pushing the envelope um, with that stuff. So, you know, there was always this concern on the studio's part that, that delivery might not get made, but it always got made. And we came up with innovative ways to support Peter and give him more time because ultimately, if you're going to hire someone like Peter Jackson to do a movie, you want him to spend as much time doing the movie as you can give him. So, yeah, there was always that. And, yeah, I was always, you know, I was probably, you know there was that nervousness always happens because you've got people who you're who are who are scared and they need to be reassured and you know but ultimately um, ultimately the release dates were always made right I would remember like the I think it was the return of the king behind the scenes you're like in the editing booth and you're like I don't know if it's like I remember like you're like slumped over like yeah. Come on, can we can we get this like why, why is it taking so long to edit <laughs> I remember like like there was a moment of like sheer like uh, maybe fear or like nervousness yeah. out of your face like I don't know if this one's gonna make it. No, there's this, there's one shot, I think I know the shot you're referring to. It's actually on the sound mixing stage. I don't think I knew I was being filmed because they were filming, I thought they were filming someone like behind me or something. But, and yeah, and I think I have this aghast kind of stressful look. Um, but it, listen, it was always the way. Um, but ultimately, that's why we do what we do. You know what I mean? So you, you, you do things, the great bold films don't come from anything but great bold effort. Right, right. And is it, do you have like a favorite moment in the movie, or like a scene, or like, wow, this is really why I really love, I really love these books, and it really translated well to the screen. Was there like a favorite scene for you or anything? Gosh, there's so many. Um, mostly, I mean, if I, you know, just to pick a handful, I mean, part of it is just the great the, the lyricism of the films that interwoven because they're big action adventure films but like you know when gandalf summons shadow facts yes. right for the first time which is just pure poetry right um you know the, the things like that and, and also like when the battle of helms deep when you're cutting inside the caves and you see the women and children that was not in the early cuts of the helms deep battle um which was much longer there was always this thing there was always a sense that it wasn't emotional enough and and peter had this brilliant insight like the reason it wasn't as emotional as he wanted it to be is because you didn't get a sense of the stakes of who they were fighting for. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, to fight to defend a big stone fortress is not an emotional thing. So he got this footage of, of, of the women and children inside. You could hear, like, the crashing, you know, in the distance. And that's the kind of great insights where, you know, you go from big, giant siege, you know, footage into these very intimate moments. And that's something that Peter does brilliantly, brilliantly well. Like one of the like scenes in Return of the King is when they, they light the beacons of Amandine like that. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I cheered, like I still cheer when I see that scene. I was like, I don't know how they, because in the book it's like a smaller, like 
more like intimate kind of thing, but like in the film with the music and the way it was shot and composed and Aragorn's running up, the beacons are lit. Like that's just such a huge moment like for me in the movie. Um let's talk about Oscar night. Sure. Eleven nominations, eleven wins for a fantasy film. Yeah. What was that experience like just to see like one after another after another? And like that, like Peter won for uh, best uh, picture and director. Yeah, it was a ama- it was an amazing night. It, it obviously it exceeded everyone's expectation. That 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 Return of the King set a record that still is held for the most wins f- of most wins among most nominations. Like there's uh, films that have been nominated more times, but didn't win everything that they were nominated for. So that's a, a record Return of the King still holds. You literally, when you're at the Oscars, I think I've said this before. Um, you, it literally becomes an out-of-body experience. You literally like start, you're you're almost like seeing it. You're seeing yourself in the theater watching this thing happen, and it was a real validation. I was incredibly emotional and, and happy because I knew how long, as long as I'd been involved with it, Peter and Fran and all the New Zealanders had been involved with it way longer than me, um, and it was a giant validation of the fantasy genre of which we are all like giant fans of, mm-hmm. you know, Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, of course, but it was a total validation of fantasy and that fantasy could be done at a high level. How much of an impact would you say that the Lord of the Rings has had on your professional career? Like, do you think you'd still be where you're at today if it weren't for those movies? No. I think it would. I think what would have happened if the Lord of the Rings had failed, um, I probably would have been ritually murdered. <laughs> uh, Hollywood. Uh, but um, it would have been like like the biblical scapegoat. I think they just would have brought me out into the field and killed me. Uh, but luckily, it wasn't. But no, the, it's funny how the Lord of the Rings, and it's 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 a real blessing. Like I always thought that people would remember it, but I never thought it would remain as present in my life as it does. Every day, like there, there's not a day that goes by that somehow the Lord of the Rings stays very present for me through the fans and through social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in my working life, like I, I find that people, you know, when I have meetings with people, or I'm talking whether it's with artists or financiers or distributors that the, the, the glow of Lord of the Rings still resonates. And I'm very, very grateful for it. Um, I think when you do something special, people remember that and they and they like to connect with it yeah it's a very like whenever i watch it now it's a very nostalgic feeling yeah. for all of us and I'm, I'm sure it's even more so because you helped like like i said like you are the reason like like obviously peter and fran and philippa and richard taylor and howard shore and you know andrew lesney and all those people have their place for it but it's without you being there to like kind of push new line in the direction we, like it never would have made it to where it was like it kind of like like uh, Tolkien always said, it was like lightning out of like clear blue sky kind of a thing. It was funny. You hit the nail on the head in terms of the, it's really, it does take, it is take, does take like a fellowship. And in the same way, like, you know, when Gon Gandalf said to, you know, to Frodo, like, you know, who knows what role Gollum will have to play. Like, you never know all the different people doing all the different stuff. Mm-hmm. It really, it's kind of a miracle when any film, I mean, I've been involved in the making or the, or the distribution of probably 60 or 70 movies. And to me, it's always a miracle that they happen because literally producing movies is like trying to make a jigsaw puzzle on a moving table when someone's always hiding the piece you need. It, like there literally is so many variables that are shifting all the time mm-hmm. that to get one done and then to get one done that turns out well, like, you know, 
for a filmmaker when what's in your head as a director like Peter gets up on the screen. That's a it's a kind of a total lovely miracle. So yes, for sure. But I it's funny when I was what you said, like the very first autograph that I ever signed was which is in May of two thousand one. I was at the Cannes Film Festival when we un, when we unveiled the first footage of Lord of the Rings, like twenty six minutes of footage, and I was asked by a guy I still know who works at the one ring.net from my autograph. And I literally did one of these, like he, he said, and I looked behind me, like you, what me? So is that you must mean someone behind me. And he was like, no, no, I want yours because you're us. Like he said, you're a fan. You're not an actor. You're not a director. You're not like, you know, one of the creative people, you're not a cinematographer, but you know, you're, you're like us and you helped contribute exactly. to, to this happening. So, it's like it was very tribal and super cool. Yeah, it couldn't be put any better way. Uh, so let's talk about Court Five. Like, you, we know you're a really busy guy. You're always working on stuff. Like, what is yeah. that? Court Five is my is the production company I have with a fellow uh, former New Liner named Jane Fleming, who's also on Twitter at at, at Harvey Fleming. Um, and we make films and television. Most recently, in terms of the Lord of the Rings fan community. We did a television show last year for ABC called The Quest. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, which was super cool. And actually, it's only worth mentioning, particularly on this podcast, because it was inspired by Lord of the Rings. We wanted to take 12 real people who love fantasy films, games, literature, and put them in a fully immersive fantasy environment where they could compete to be the one true hero of a kingdom. Sort of like, and like our partners are the folks that make The Amazing Race and also the folks that, that created uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guys. So we went to Vienna, Austria, and we got this giant, real castle, and it had 70 acres of private woods and, and, and land around it, and you know, rivers and lake. And, and we basically cre we totally created, with actors and prosthetics and 3D projection and sound effects, this immersive environment, and we set these 12 people loose in it. And it was inspired because when we were doing the Lord of the Rings during pre-production, all the actors went down early to like horse camp and sword camp and archery camps. Like, so, you know, so Orlando Bloom could look really cool with the bow. They'd all look really cool. <laughs> and my partner, Jane, said, boy, you know, wouldn't it be cool if real people could go to horse camp and sword camp and archery camp? But, you know, not just LARPing, which is cool, but like really, like, you know, like where it's all like, you know, completely immersive. It doesn't have, you don't have to, where you don't have to use your imagination. It's all right there. So that's how the quest came about. Um, and it's actually on Netflix right now, which we find super cool. So you can watch an episode. So that's what we do. But we're always developing. We, I, and by the way, you could tell, because now you guys will get the context. Because you know, as you know, we make horror movies. Obviously, we did this mm -hmm. film, Lovely Molly. We did this Bigfoot film, Exists, last year. And that you, now you know why I do horror movies, because I started out doing, my very first job was doing B movies and horror movies. So like I, that, you know, I've not actually traveled that far from, <laughs> from how I was when I started out. Like I still love making low budget genre movies and we, but we also developed giant, you know, huge, you know, platform franchise movies as well. Um, so it's cool. Are you, is there anything in the pipeline right now with court five that's going to come out maybe the end of the year or the beginning of next year? Yeah, there's a film that hasn't been announced yet, but there's a film we're going to be doing, uh, another horror film uh, that is probably going to shoot in October, which will probably get announced soon, in which case that would come out next year. Um, we're developing television. We're doing 
We we made this film in Alaska called The Frozen Ground with Nick Cage and John Cusack and Vanessa Hudgens. And while we were up there, we got inspired to do try to do a TV series from based on the woman who who was the vice chief in Anchorage, Alaska, swimming Kathy Lacey. So we're we're making we made a deal with I Am Global to develop that into a television series, which would be cool. Yeah, we're always. I mean, really. It's, I live a very blessed life because I basically come to work each day and we, we, we either try to cook up cool stuff or we get to talk to people who are cooking up really cool stuff mm-hmm. and we try to enable that. I mean, I sort of do the same thing all, that I've always done. I try to enable the creation of artists or in the case of the quest of our own creations and see if I can move them from idea to reality. I mean, that's really what we do and it's a super, it's a super big blessing. I have, uh, let's, I'll ask two more questions and we'll kind of wrap things up. Is there anything in the Lord of the Rings books that you wish would have made it into the film, like Tom Bombadil or something? Right. Um, is there anything like that? You're like, man, I wish there was someone we could like, just go back and get the crew together one last time just to film this little thing from the book. Now, I got to say all my favorite stuff got in. Um, and I didn't, maybe because I was involved in the making of the movies, I didn't miss Tom Bombadil by way of example, because I once, Peter once joked with me, like, you know, where's Tom Pomodel? And he, he was, he was teasing me, but basically like, he, he's right there. He's right. You know, you know, when it, when it transitions from like, you know, from like, you know, the farm maggots field to like, to their arrival and breathe, that's where he is. Okay. He's right there. And <laughs> you know, you just didn't see him, but he's totally right there. It's like, you know, but, um, in, but what I'll tell you, talking about the Hobbit, which I was, which I saw just as a fan. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite scenes of The Hobbit did make it in, which I knew it would. Which is the, which I actually did. I did a dramatic. I did a reading for Hobbit Day of like um, a thief in the night when you know, when when Bilbo sneaks away and gives the Arkenstone um, to to Bard and to the elves, and that was always one of my favorite scenes in the book. Um, I think I probably saw myself in, in in Bilbo in that moment of someone who was trying to like you know bridge bridge the gaps because yeah. basically that's a big part of what I do in my life is, is bridge, bridge artists to financing, to distribution. And I enjoy doing that. So I remember God, since I hadn't read the scripts, I had no way of knowing if that scene had made it. And I could have emailed Peter and asked him, I decided not to, I decided <laughs> I would just wait. Uh, and I was pleased that that scene made it in cause I would have been disappointed. So I have, I have big empathy for Tom Bombadil fans. Uh, I just have one Batman-related question because, like, like talking with you, you're you're a Batman fan. What do yeah. you think of Ben Affleck as Batman? Are you excited? Nervous? I gotta say, I it's funny because I've heard a lot of chatter, and I'd be curious what you guys think too. So it will trade. I'm excited. I've heard chatter all around, like that people are you know pro and con. When I saw the trailers, you know the, the recent the recent previews, uh, I was totally psyched. Um, I, I think it's going to be great. Um, I'm I'm super stoked for it. So, but what do we? What do you guys think? We're excited. We're for all it. pro Batfleck. Yeah, yeah. Like, the suit. We're all like, it's the best suit that's been out in yes. twenty years. Like, yeah. It, this movie's gonna be huge. Yeah. And no, we I agree with you. And by the way, I'm old enough. I'm old, you guys. But I was old enough to see the very, very first Tim Burton Batman in a cinema in Westwood. You know, near UCLA here in Los Angeles. You know, me and, and Mike DeLuca, who was then the president of production, you know, like we basically played hooky and went, stood in line for like hours. To see it, you know? And I remember all the chatter about Michael Keaton back then, you know, the doubters like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, the bottom line is when you have a great filmmaker 
and you have someone who's so talented to be at Michael Keaton or Ben Affleck, you know, things work. You know what I mean? Like you got to, that's the thing. You got to faith, you know, we can all sit here, you know, and be kind of, you know, armchair, armchair critics or whatever. But the bottom line is I believe in creators and I, I was psyched. So I agreed. I dug the suit, thought the suit looked badass. Um, so uh, I was, I was down with that. I will be there. I will be there in the cinema for sure. Opening Friday or, or Thursday, you know, whenever, you know, I'll be there. Wow, man. Do you guys have any other questions for Mark before we let him out of have his day? I think he answered all of our questions very well. Oh, man. Mark Ordesky, we never imagined we would be speaking to you at any time. I was personally really worried it was going to be like that old Saturday Night Live uh, skit with Chris Farley where he talked to Paul McCartney. Like, so you were there, right? Like, <laughs> that was awesome. Do you like, remember? Do you remember that? <laughs> that, that was awesome. Like, it, no, wow, listen, man. I, first of all, the thanks go to you guys. I mean, I, I, I say this on Twitter all the time. I really, I'll leave you this. Now. Like, I really have a fierce passion about the fan community. I consider myself a fan. You know, in, in the seventies when I was in when I was a kid and I was in fandom, there was no way to to interface with people you cared about or people you thought were awesome. I mean, unless you just had some random encounter, like it was just never yeah. gonna happen. So I really I love engaging with fans and I love the fact that, that these kinds of podcasts exist. Um, it's important because no one who makes things doesn't want them to be seen and loved by people who give a damn. You know what I mean? That's like it's sad. all we're in such this ironic time. Like everything's so ironic. I'm the least ironic person. I'm terribly earnest. If you haven't been able to tell by now, I'm super earnest. I'm not remotely ironic, and I love stuff. And when I love it, I get super excited. So these kinds of things energize me. So the thanks go both ways because I love engaging with people. Like and social media. I know I sound like a total old man when I say this, but like the fact that we don't, we didn't even know each other right, prior right. to this. Now we're connected. We've had this meaningful thing. It's amazing. Like I find it yeah. totally awesome. Yeah, like I consider you a friend of us. So <laughs> no, same, same. Wow. And by the way, people I've done with, like you know, all the podcasts we've done, I've I've become friends with the people that do it. It's just it's just cool because we're all passionate about the same stuff. In fact, what we should do because when is the and I should know this, but when is the what's the release date for Bat for the new Batman? March 26, 2016. Yes. Okay. I mean, obviously we'll be in touch before that, but we should definitely. I definitely want to do like we should definitely do some. Yo, I'm sure you'll be doing tons of podcast stuff. We should oh, definitely yeah. do some kind of like thing. I'm sure you'll be doing like what y'all think of the of the movie. So we should definitely reconvene because I'm sure you're going to be doing some major podcasting. Then you, whenever you want to come on just to talk about Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, whatever you're working on, or Batman, cool. or nerd stuff, you are definitely more than welcome yeah, to come let on. us know. So, awesome. Uh, Pleasure. Well, let me know when you load the podcast up because I will totally share it because it's fun. Awesome. Oh, yeah, awesome. definitely. We'll, we'll be, be for, in touch. We'll be in touch for sure. And then in March, like after we see the movie, if you want to come on and talk to us about what your thoughts of the movie, if you like any questions, like I didn't understand, like why were they, why are Superman and Batman fighting? Well, we'll definitely break all that stuff down. We'll for be breaking you. it down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yes, awesome. awesome. Mark it's my pleasure. Thanks again for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. And it's been a blast. Can we do one thing though? Because yeah. like my parents will never believe like I talked to you. <laughs> like can we do can we do like a quick selfie with you? Like Yeah, that'd be awesome. Awesome. How, awesome. It'll go up do it. Amazing. I can take this for you guys. You right, all I have to do is be You just have yeah. to be you. <laughs> just look pretty. <laughs>
Think we're good. Amazing. Awesome. You're awesome. Thank, Thank you so much. So digital much. selfie. It's like a picture within a picture within a picture. Oh yeah, it is too. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Mark Ordeski, we cannot thank you enough. That's going to do it for episode one of Lords of Film. Hope you guys enjoyed it. More to come.